Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. My name is Annie. Um, just to tell you a bit about myself, because some of the stories I tell in my sermon make sense if you know a bit about me. I am mum to a two and a five-year-old. I have a couple of different jobs, but one of those jobs is that I take funerals. And so often I tell stories about that. Um, but it's great to be here this morning. We are talking about hope. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Isaiah. And today we come to Isaiah 40. So chapters 1 to 39 have been a message of hope and judgment for the people of Judah and Jerusalem at a time where their city was still standing, when they were threatened with invasion by the Assyrians. Isaiah spoke out and he spoke into their situation because of the hope that he had in God and in the hope that he had in the fulfillment of God's covenant promises because of his sureness of God's faithfulness. And then we come to Isaiah 40 which is an announcement of hope from God. And it's like we fast forwarded 200 years from where we were in Isaiah 39 to where the people are now in exile. There's some uncertainty as to whether this was Isaiah speaking prophetically or whether these words are from Isaiah's followers and they're coming during the exile or after the exile. But either way, we're reading Isaiah speaking words of hope to people in exile. And I don't know about anyone else, but as I was planning this talk, I found the phrase, an announcement of hope, really reassuring. And it was one I felt like, yeah, I could do with some of that today. So as we begin, I'm just going to pray in that place, and then we'll get looking at um, Isaiah 40 and that hope. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together at a distance today. We thank, for you, thank you for your faithfulness and your hope. And I pray that wherever we are at today, whether we sit in that place where we know hope or whether we're sat this morning feeling hopeless, that we would know your love and your hope this morning. God, that you would speak to us as we read this passage and as we connect our hearts with yours. Amen. So, as I said, the theme I was given today was hope. And as I begin, I wanted to share some of what I've been reflecting on this week. And bear with me here, because there will be a lot of hope in this sermon, even if that's not where it finds its beginning. At the moment, we don't have to look too far to find problems in the world. You only need to start scrolling through the news. And in fact, I learned a new term this week called doom scrolling, which is talking about scrolling through the news and seeing all those stories of doom. And then on a personal level, we will almost certainly all have problems of some kind in our lives. In Psalm 112, verse seven, it says of a righteous man, they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. We can trust deeply in God so that we are so firm on who he is that we have no fear of bad news. Isaiah made it clear to the people of Judah and Jerusalem that problems were coming. They would be sent into exile. That's what we've been looking at. And Jesus said in John 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in 2 Timothy 3, it says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. They thought they were living in end times then, and at times most of us probably do now. 
I told you this didn't necessarily start in a place of hope. We'll get there. The Bible never says it's going to be easy to follow God. In fact, it makes it abundantly clear that it won't be easy. Following Jesus doesn't mean no more bad news. Trouble will come our way. But God is bigger. Hope doesn't exist without hopelessness. If things were easy, we would have no need for hope. And God's, if things were easy, we wouldn't see God's faithfulness for the beautiful, wondrous gift that it is. It wouldn't be hope if we didn't need it. I think for me, someone summed up this kind of juxtaposition, this feeling of hope and hopelessness sitting side by side earlier this week. I took a funeral for a gentleman who had been poorly for a number of years, um, but ultimately he died of COVID. Only one member of his family was able to say goodbye in person and the others all had to say goodbye on the phone. And one of his children said during the funeral, I hate COVID because it took away my dad, but I am thankful for COVID because it ended a life which had become increasingly difficult. It is possible to be both utterly hopeless and sad yet grateful and hopeful all at the same time. Sometimes we might wish everything was better. We might wish things were easy, but it's important to remember that God is with us in the messiness, in the trouble and in the problems, and that he knew we'd experience them. It is not a surprise to him, and he is bigger. So I felt like it was important that as we come to look at this announcement of hope today, that we first acknowledge that things are and things can be difficult, but that we start today as we focus on God's word from a place of recognizing and remembering that God is always with us, God is always faithful, and God is bigger. Okay, let's get stuck into Isaiah 40. It's a short passage, so you might want to have it open as we're literally just going to work our way through it. So verses one to two. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Comfort, comfort. God comforts. Isaiah is speaking to the people in exile. They're people who have not experienced comfort for a while. And this comfort is for my people, God's people. God comforts in relationship. He will not let them go. He emphasizes his abundant comfort for his people. This comfort is tender and personal, speaking directly to Jerusalem's heart with love and care. And this comfort is decisive he uses the word proclaim, which could also be replaced with preach or tell others. This comfort is good, go tell people. God's comfort is abundant, tender, and decisive. And it is for us, his people. Then verse two, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And I've just realized, I have a visual aid in my bag and I wonder if Pete might be able to just run and grab it and chuck it at me. Or someone else, but Pete can touch stuff because we've been... <laughs> um, it's a towel, John, just so you know. <laughs> God gives forgiveness. Again, like God's comfort, thank you very much, <laughs> like God's comfort in relationship for his people, this language is personal, that she has received from the Lord's hand. 
not forgiveness from a far off somewhere distant God, but from the Lord's hand. God's communicating his desire to be in relationship. He's communicating his closeness. And how much forgiveness? It says double for all her sins. So I now have my visual aid. Who doesn't love a visual aid? Now, double over, this is just an old towel from our kitchen. Double over would have been an expression that the people understood. In Exodus 26, 9, it talks about how curtains were folded and doubled over. So like with this towel, as you fold it in half, literally each point matches exactly. It literally covers the other side as it's doubled over, matching up completely, if you fold it well, that is. (laughs) God completely covers sin with his forgiveness. This in itself is abundant forgiveness to cover all sin, but then Jesus comes along and he ups that abundance. In Matthew 18, 21, Peter asks Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Not just once, not just twice. It's hard to double this towel over even 10 times, let alone 77. God's forgiveness goes on doubling over again and again and again. As soon as we think we've started to get our heads around it, Jesus comes along and says, no, it's more than that. There's more forgiveness. A payment is made, Jesus dying on the cross. And the fact is that this payment is made before we've even asked for it. And it's even for those of us who don't know Jesus. Doubled over, folded over, covering us completely, matching up completely, and then some, forgiving all of our sins. God comforts abundantly, tenderly, and decisively, and he forgives all sins. Then we come on to verse three to five, where it says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Each valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Everything in here is about getting ready for the glory of God. Jesus is coming. There is so much Jesus in this passage. Jesus was to come, and John the Baptist, the voice calling, was to be the one crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for him. In Luke 1, 76 to 79, Zacharias sings prophetically over his son. And he says, or he sings, I'm not going to sing it. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Sometimes I think we can fail to appreciate how important the preparation can be. Perhaps it's because of the consumerist society we live in. We can order food to arrive within the hour. We can order products to arrive the next day, or perhaps even the same day. 
John the Baptist's ministry was hugely important and this whole section speaks of the preparation needed for us to meet with Jesus. So if we look again at verse three and four, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And in those days when Isaiah was speaking, when a king was traveling to a place, they would often literally clear the way and build a highway for him, like literally make a new road. Whatever was in the way needed to be cleared and fixed. Sometimes a passage needed to be cut through the mountains. And when we think about what this means for us to prepare for Jesus, this becomes about what needs to take place in our hearts for him to meet with us in those desert places. And I saw a great picture of this actually this week. Someone shared on social media how they felt like it was a bit like a building site and they shared a picture of a, a digger building on a building site. Our sins must be exposed, the places where we feel inadequate, the places where we are proud. The ground must be laid, made level as we allow God to prepare our hearts and we make way for him. And this is a reminder also that God meets us in that desert place. He's doing the preparation with us. We're not alone preparing for him to pass through. He literally comes into those desert places. This is what he invited the people of Jerusalem and Judah to do. And he invites us to that too, so that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. This is an invitation for all of us into relationship. It's like an arrow pointing straight to Jesus who enables us to draw close to God. And perhaps that's what some of us need today, to pause, to take a moment to prepare for Jesus. Perhaps as we're coming into this season of Advent, into the lead up to Christmas, this could be your time to remind yourself of the good news of Jesus' birth. Then in verses six to eight, we see it says, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Grass is often used as an analogy in the Bible. It was a valuable resource for people in biblical times. Many people herded sheep for a living. The sheep needed to eat grass. The sheep needed to eat and grass was what they ate. So a shepherd would develop a keen eye for good grass, knowing it would quickly become parched and brown, knowing it was fragile and that it could quickly die. When we lived in our last house, we laid turf in the garden. And I say we, I mean my dad came and laid it, thanks dad. Um, and it took a lot of looking after to keep it looking good. Um, Pete would be out there watering it every night. If I watered it in the middle of the day, he would tell me I shouldn't be doing that in the heat of the day because it would get scorched. Um, and, but, <laughs> and when we went away for a week, we had friends, in fact Trini who did our reading, they faithfully came and watered our lawn while we were on holiday. The grass withers and flowers fall. This is how frail and weak we are. But this is an encouragement, believe it or not. We are nothing, but God is everything. God is bigger. He is always faithful and his word endures forever. 
It wouldn't be hope if we didn't need it. I've recently written a Bible study on Abraham, so I've been thinking quite a lot about God's faithfulness. And I was so struck as I was reading through um, Abraham's journey of faith. It took a lifetime for him to grow his faith. He faltered, he doubted, and he tried to fix things himself along the way. I think sometimes we just remember that end bit of his journey where he went to complete obedience. And actually to look back and see him growing and learning and doubting was really helpful for me. And God always kept his promises. No matter what Abraham did, God always kept his promises. He told Abraham, my word stands forever. I have been faithful, I am faithful, and I will always be faithful. When trouble comes and we face problems, if we look within ourselves or to other humans or even to political leaders to fix them, we'll be lost. Verse eight says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the story of the Bible. I know your problems are big. Your sin is great. Being in exile is hard. You're worried about your future. But God is intervening. But God is bigger. And you can find this over and over again in the Bible. Genesis 50, 20, it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Galatians 4, verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And I have a whole list. I wasn't going to read them all out, but it's so easy to go to the Bible and find these and see this story over and over again. And the ultimate, but God is bigger, the resurrection. Jesus is the great theme over and over again. The great hope which Isaiah is announcing, God's glory revealed. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. No matter what today looks like for you, we have hope today. Our problems might be big, our world is troubled, our lives are fragile, but God's word stands forever. He is coming with abundant, tender, and decisive comfort, complete forgiveness, and to reveal who he is. He wants to be in relationship with you. He invites you to draw near to him. God is bigger, and he is forever, always faithful. There is hope.